Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Gamison with the Speaking for Him podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us this week. I'm extremely excited about what I have to share with you today. And our main topic will be, I wasn't born this way. So you'll want to stay tuned and find out what that is all about. And I also just wanted to say thank you so much for praying me through the school year. I am now on summer break, uh, which I am excited about uh, because I can devote myself to this podcast more fully and then also some other ministry projects that I would like to see come to fruition. And I'll just ask you to continue to pray as I am continuing to reassemble my online presence after my Facebook hack. I am still trying to think of the best way to move forward from that as far as putting my ministry back out up there on social media. So I would covet your prayers of wisdom about that. And now I want to share with you what is going on. All right, well, this past Sunday, we passed an auspicious anniversary in our American history, and that is June 6, 1944, was D-Day. So 77 years ago this year, we stormed the beaches of Normandy with the Allies to liberate Europe from the Nazi regime in World War II. And I am so thankful that we have had so many that have gone before us from the Revolutionary War to today who have stood for freedom. And as we stand on the cusp of losing the last soldiers from America's greatest generation, I think it's so important that we take some time to acknowledge D-Day. I have uh, a couple audio clips I want to share with you. The first one is from the show Outnumbered on Fox News, where Governor Huckabee gives his reflections on D-Day in the wake of the fact that Joe Biden becomes one of the few presidents that failed to acknowledge it. practiced in long maneuvers in England. Now the practice becomes reality, that long-promised day of invasion, D-Day. 77 years ago yesterday, June 6, 1944, tens of thousands of Allied troops turned the tide of World War II, bravely storming the beaches of Normandy. Thousands of American troops died that day. While Presidents George W. Bush, Obama, and Trump all acknowledged the D-Day anniversary in their first year in office, President Biden failed to even mention it this weekend, tweeting instead about the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. Vice President Harris did. She mentioned D-Day in a tweet. Now, our own Jillian Turner spoke with a veteran who said, quote, As a veteran, I find it reprehensible that the president ends his speeches with God bless the troops, which now seems to be in words only. He blatantly forgot to acknowledge the tremendous sacrifice of our greatest generation. Governor Huckabee, your thoughts. What happened on June 6 of 1944 is one of the most powerful events in human history. And these very young guys, most of whom were 18, 19 years old, many of them knew full well they weren't going to live through the day. And 2,500 of them didn't. 
First of all, it's inconceivable that the president or his staff could be unaware that this was the anniversary of D-Day. Uh, Kaylee will tell you that there are dozens of people on the communication staff at the White House. This is true of every public official, whether they're senators, governors. They all have people who keep up with the calendar. They know what dates are and what things are happening. So how could this have escaped the Biden White House Communications Department, even if the president himself was unaware or had forgotten, which is entirely possible? The fact is, this was just simply mm. something they didn't think was all that important because they had mm. to have known what this date was and to ignore it. It's just absolutely inconceivable to me because we should never forget the sacrifice of those who stormed those beaches. And I've stood on those beaches. I've gone to that cemetery. It is one of the most emotional, moving, gut-wrenching experiences yeah. to realize what our folks did. Two things I want to say here. First of all, as Governor Huckabee pointed out, every high-ranking government official has a full staff of people in their communications department, and one of their big jobs is to make sure that these people, and in this case the president, has the proper responses to major events on our calendar. D-Day was not only one of the most significant events in American history, it was one of the most significant events in world history because we worked with Canada and Great Britain and we liberated Europe from the Nazi regime. It is so important that we are teaching our children history and that we as adults, are continuing to learn and relearn history because if we forget history, we will be doomed to repeat it, as the famous quote goes. Those who fail to learn from history will be doomed to repeat it. That's the proper quote. But if we forget history then we forget the lessons that it teaches us. And we have a whole generation of Americans now who don't understand the significance of the sacrifice which was wrought on their behalf. There's a lot said today about free speech and about the right to say or do whatever I want. And I'm not going to talk about or a lot about the true definition of liberty, which is not the right to do what you want so much as it is the right to do what you ought. But I am going to say this, that freedom isn't free. And many of our young people don't realize how true that statement is. It's not just a cliche. It's not just a, a quote that we throw out. It's not just a slogan. It is a truth. That freedom is not free. That these young men who stormed the beaches of Normandy, knowing that they may not come out alive, gave their all for our freedom. And so it's important for us to acknowledge that.
The second thing I want to say is that, as I said, Biden could have forgot, but his communications department should have remembered. But the second thing I want to say is it's hard to excuse this as simply forgetting about it. When, as you also heard in that clip, Biden used the opportunity to talk about a different historical event, some race riots in Tulsa. Now, is that something for us to remember? Yes. We should remember the mistakes of our country and learn from them. As a matter of fact, America the Beautiful, one of the lines of that song is mend our every flaw. So even a song like America the Beautiful does not fail to recognize the flaws of our country. Rather, it says we do have flaws, but God, with your help, help us to overcome them. But to take something like that and to acknowledge that, but not acknowledge probably the single biggest event in World War II as the leader of the free world, I think is unacceptable. This next clip that I'm going to share with you is from Fox and Friends, and they give us some interesting facts about D-Day. Today marks 77 years since D-Day. Veterans and family members gathering in France earlier, paying tribute to the thousands killed and injured. This includes more than 2,500 American soldiers who died on the beaches of Normandy, the largest seaborne invasion in history, leading to the liberation of Europe from Nazi control and ultimately the end of World War II. Here with more on the significance of this day, president of the National D-Day Memorial Foundation, April Cheeks Messier. Uh, April, I got to ask you, what does this day mean to you? Oh, goodness. I think this was such an important date for us all to remember. June the 6th was a date where it turned, it, it truly turned the tide of the war in World War II. It was the liberation of France, which allowed us to move forward and into Germany. As Eisenhower said in his famous order of the day, the uh, liberation um, of the oppressed peoples of Europe. And it allowed us to really uh, win the war. And so we are grateful to all of those who served and sacrificed so much during that time. Yeah, you know, April, I was reading about a 96-year-old World War II veteran who was the only veteran still alive that attended his local uh, D-Day ceremony. So we are losing these brave men and women, um, and it's so important to honor them. Also, we can learn from them. So what can we uh, today learn from um, the folks who served in, in World War II? Oh, they have so much they can teach us, and it's been such an honor over the years to hear their stories and, and truly just see how everyone came together. It was truly about not only patriotism, but cooperation. And, you know, you look at D-Day, it was the most complex military operation ever attempted. And all of these allied forces, not just Americans, but the allies coming together on an international scale to defeat Nazi tyranny. It was not only the achievements that I think we have to remember and reflect on today, what was achieved that day, but also what was lost, because so many were lost. And I think our veterans would want us to remember their comrades, those who paid the ultimate price 
for the freedoms that we enjoy today. We're reaping the benefits of what happened 77 years ago today. Hey, April, and, and to run the risk of asking you a question you may not know the answer to, because I'm just following my own curiosity and you may not have this offhand, but you talk about what was lost. We've mentioned those soldiers that stormed the beaches of Normandy. They knew what they were walking into. They knew the risk they were taking. Can you quantify for that for us? Like, what, what was the, what, what was the fatality rate? What was the danger specifically? You know, what percentage of, of men were lost that actually took the beach that day? Yes. You know, it's such, it's so important for us to remember that. And when we started this memorial 20 years ago, we didn't know how many died on D-Day. There were no records to really reflect that. And over the next 20 years, we have researched every single uh, soldier, sailor, airman's name who died on June 6, 1944. And we researched the Allies, too. That's 4,415 young men died on June 6, 1944. Tens of thousands died throughout the Normandy campaign. And so this was not uh, something, and actually, honestly, more casualties were expected. Um, but I, I think we have to reflect on that. And of that 4,415 who died, 2,502 were Americans. And uh, I think today is important for us to reflect on those losses and all of those who served and, and lived to fight another day. Because again, we're here uh, because of what they did. And they were teenagers, many of them. Yeah. They were so young and they paid the ultimate price for our, our freedom. Something we should always remember. Look at that. You did have the answer to the question. So thank you so much. Thank it is know. important. It's important context. It's important information. It's important to remember today. Thank you, April. Thanks, April. Thank you so much. I wholeheartedly agree. It's important for us to remember where we have come from so that we can see clearly moving forward into the future. So often in our country, as well as in other parts of life, we think that things happen in a bubble, but everything that happens to us and around us affects so much more than we think it does. Nothing happens in a bubble. And I'm so thankful that the ripples from the sacrifice of this great generation are still rippling today. I'm thankful to live in a place where I have liberty. And I hope that you are too. Okay, I'm going to give you some fast facts about D-Day. And I will admit that as I was researching this, for today's show, I got really excited and I included probably a little more information than I intended to include given that this is a podcast format. But my hope is that this will encourage you to study this more. Um, because as I said, I think students of history will know best how to help our country move forward. And if you think about the word history, uh, what does it break down to? It is his story. Even the Bible is primarily a history book. And God himself will often tell the children of Israel, for instance, remember where you came from. Remember that I am the God of Israel that led you out of Egypt. He was constantly reminding them. Why? Because in order to go to the next place where God wanted them, they needed to know where they came from. So here is some D-Day information. Some of it will no doubt 
overlap slightly with the clip that you just heard. Um, but I really think it's important. According to the D-Day Center, the invasion officially called Operation Overlord combined forces of 156,115 U.S., British, and Canadian troops, 6,939 ships and landing vessels, and 2,395 aircraft and 867 gliders that delivered airborne troops. Operation Overlord was divided among sections of beachfront along the Normandy coast codenamed from west to east Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. At Omaha Beach, bombing runs had failed to take out heavily fortified Nazi artillery positions. The first waves of American fighters were cut down in droves by German machine gun fire as they scrambled across the mine-riddled beach but U.S. forces persisted through the day-long slog, pushing forward to the fortified seawall, to a fortified seawall, and then up steep bluffs to take out the Nazi artillery posts by nightfall. All told, around 2,400 American troops were killed, wounded, or unaccounted for after the fighting at Omaha Beach. Five days after the D-Day invasion, troops immediately began installing two massive temporary harbors that had taken six months to construct back in England. All told, the Allies unloaded approximately 2,500,000 men, 500,000 vehicles, and 4 million tons of supplies at the temporary harbors over the remaining course of the war. The total Allied losses at Normandy are estimated to be at least 4,413. Total Allied casualties in the Battle of Normandy, which dragged on until August, topped 226,000. But thanks in part to a massive influx of troops and equipment, D-Day marked a decisive turning point in the war. Less than a year later, on May 7, 1945, Germany signed an unconditional surrender. According to the National D-Day Memorial Federation, uh, at its memorial site in Bedford, Virginia, there are 4,414 names enshrined in bronze plaques representing every Allied soldier, sailor, airman, and Coast Guardsman who died on D-Day. This figure was the result of years of exhaustive research by librarian and genealogist Carol Tuckweiler on behalf of the Foundation and remains the most accurate count of Allied fatalities within the 24-hour period known as D-Day. The total number of casualties that appear, occurred during Operation Overlord from June 6, the date of D-Day, to August 30, when the German forces retreated across the scene, was over 425,000 Allied and German troops. The figure includes over 209,000 Allied casualties. Nearly 37,000 were dead among the ground forces, 16,714 deaths among the Allied air forces. Of the Allied casualties, 883,045 were from the 21st Army Group, British, Canadian, and Polish ground forces, and 125,847 were from U.S. ground forces. 
So we're talking about a lot of loss of life for you and for me. But I think the most significant thing that we mentioned in this sheet was a year later, less than a year later, from the Normandy invasion on May 7, 1945, Germany negotiated and agreed to an unconditional surrender. So we really did turn the tide of the war, us and our allies. Now, I think there was a one-person discrepancy between the total number of casualties that I read you and the total number of casualties uh, that were mentioned on the clip. So I'm not exactly sure why that is, but significant to us is the fact that 4,400-plus soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines gave their lives for us on the beaches of Normandy. Very significant. So I hope that as you are contemplating the fun that you're going to have this summer, that you'll think about the American servicemen that made it possible. I'm thankful to be free. And so to the men who gave their all on D-Day and to those who survived and live with the horrors of that reality every day, I say a heartfelt thank you. Before we move on, I'm going to play you a medley of each of the military theme songs, and as you listen once again, I just ask you to take a few moments, reflect, and be thankful for your freedom. There are people who gave their lives that day in the prime of their youth so that you and I could live in peace and safety here in this great country of ours. Not a perfect country, but a great country nonetheless.
I am truly thankful. God bless the United States of America. This past week, uh, Joe Manchin, who is a Democratic senator, uh, made headlines when he wrote an op-ed saying that he would not support uh, revoking the filibuster or H.R. 1, which is the National uh, Voter Rights Bill, which is going through uh, the House and the Senate right now. And this is called by the Democrats the For the People Bill. And I'm not going to go through this in great detail. I'm simply going to play you a clip from Fox Business. The This clip is from the... The Cudlow Show on Fox Business talking about why Joe Manchin has declined support for this groundbreaking legislation. So breaking from party lines, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin announcing plans to vote against his party's sweeping voting rights bill. That's very big. He's calling the bill too partisan. Take a listen. I think it's the wrong piece of legislation to bring our country together and unite our country, and I'm not supporting that because I think it would divide us further. Now we have to unite together, and that means a little bit of uh, difficulties and challenges, but we'll get through us. We're the most deliberate body in the world, and that was by I, design. I ask you. All right, so I am always united with the host of America Reports on Fox News, <laughs> that being goodness. Ms. Sandra Smith, who joins us today. Hi, Thank Mary. you, Sandra. You know, that's interesting. Before we get to the uh, infrastructure business, um, Manchin laid out a pretty strong position. There's two issues that he is, I think, unmovable, and I think the same is true for Senator Sinema mm -hmm. of Arizona. One, the filibuster. They will not vote against the filibuster. Yeah. Two, um, the Voting Rights Act, for a, a bunch of reasons. One of them's ID, another one's nationalizing elections, no eligibility. But it seems to me, before we even get to our economic stuff, mm -hmm. those are two major issues Absolutely. right there. Absolutely. And I think this was Manchin in his strongest terms yet, saying he's not willing to change Senate rules to push through his party's far-left agenda, being a, a moderate Democrat. But you go to the words of the, his Charleston Gazette mail op-ed um, posted on Sunday, which he keeps referring back to because he uses such strong language in that. He said he believes partisan voting legislation will destroy the already weakening blind of our democracy. He goes on to say, Larry, voting in election reform that is done in a partisan manner will all but ensure partisan divisions continue to deepen. So Joe Manchin is taking a stand. And I'm grateful that he is. As I said, I'm not going to go into detail here, but I just want to share with you a couple different reasons to a few couple to a few different reasons why I think this is scary legislation. The first one, and this has been something that the Democrats have said for a long time, is they don't believe that ID should be required for voting. Now, I talked about this on last week's show, so I'm not going to belabor the point here. But most Republicans 
and other conservatives would say that ID for voting is not only reasonable, but is important to make sure that we maintain the integrity of our elections. Because if I'm not required to use my ID for all the things that I use my ID for today, then anyone could do them in my name. Because I don't have to prove who I am, so anyone could walk into my bank and say, I'm Andrew Gamison, let me take out some money. Or they could say, I'm Andrew Gamison, let me take out a credit card. Or they could go in and do the solemn duty of voting and say, I'm Andrew Gamison, let me vote. I've never thought it was oppressive to pull out my ID and give it to the poll worker to prove who I am. But the other thing, and perhaps even more significant, is the national scope of this bill. There is so much in this bill that nationalizes the election process to the point that it will not allow states any longer to have their own personal standards for things such as felons being able to vote or things such as whether or not you can get a same-day ballot. Some states, like my own here in Michigan, have decided to go that route and allow same-day ballots. Aside from the logistical problems that I think this causes, I will just go on record as saying it seems to me that the easier it is to vote, the less solemn the process is. I remember a few years ago when the issue was on the ballot whether you should be able to vote straight party, and I said, I don't think we should vote straight party because I think that we should, to borrow a phrase from the past, pull the lever on every single individual office. Because it requires thought. Because it requires intentionality. And then some of the other issues that are a little farther down the list are issues related to allowing for ballots to be purged from the rolls, which again is right now in the purview of the individual states, to purge rolls every election to make sure that that the only people voting in these elections are people that actually live in the place where the elections are taking place. So I think it is incumbent upon us to not pass this legislation. I think states are more than capable of handling their elections. And I think that what happens a lot of times or I should say, with so many different uh, types of issues, when you federalize something, it just makes it more complicated. The more local government can be, the better. So I applaud Joe Manchin for standing up. It sounds like there might be at least one other Democrat that has similar thoughts, and I respect that a great deal. Now, if I went uh, down, up and down the board, would there be things that I would disagree with Joe on? Most likely. 
but I don't think it, it's, it's bad to disagree with people. I think the problem comes when you're stifling the voices of the people that you disagree with. And I think Joe Manchin understands that this legislation would do that. And so that is why he is saying no. We have come to our main segment of the podcast. And today's main segment deals with the topic, I wasn't born this way. You probably know that this month is Pride Month. It is a month set aside to give support and love to those who have alternative lifestyles, whether it be gay, lesbian, transgender, and the list goes on. It gets longer every year, it seems, or even every day. And one of the things that often comes up when you discuss these issues with people is they say something like this, I was born this way, or I can't help the way I was born. And to that I say, that is why we need to be born again. And so I'm going to start out by sharing our quote of the day. Our quote of the day is this, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that is John chapter 3, verse 3. And Jesus is laying it out very simply for us. We cannot see the kingdom of heaven because we are not born again. He told Nicodemus, it's not enough to be born once. You must be born twice. And I'd encourage you on your own time to take the time to open John chapter 3 and to read it from beginning to end. Today, I am a man who loves the Lord Jesus and wants to serve him with everything I have. But I was not born this way. I was born a selfish sinner. And I still struggle with sin. Why? Because my heart was, and apart from Jesus Christ, would be and is evil. In Jeremiah 79 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, my heart is wicked. It's not capable of making wise decisions. So, the answer to so many of our problems today in our Western culture in the United States of America is just 
follow your heart. But I'm reminded of a line from the movie Fireproof that instead of following your heart, you have to lead your heart. Because your heart is evil. I didn't naturally seek after God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3, 10 and 11. This is a tough one for us to comprehend. Because for those of us who have been saved, we know there was a place in our lives, a time in our lives, when we made the decision to follow Jesus. And it's the best decision you could ever make. But this passage in Romans tells me that I didn't have any power of my own through which to seek God. No one seeks God on their own. That jives well with something else Paul wrote where he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So I don't have the power in and of myself to seek after God. So what's the answer? The answer is that God drew me to himself. First passage I have for that is Philippians 3.12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 12. In this passage, Paul is saying, God laid hold of me. And so now I am trying to lay hold of that which God has for me because he laid hold of me. This is where the, the, the slogan from my business card comes from and the goal of my ministry speaking for him who spoke for me comes from this passage in Philippians chapter three. And then Jesus said this in John six forty four: no man can come to me except the father, which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. And that's John six. 44. So Jesus is in essence telling us my father will draw men to me. And whoever is drawn to me, whoever has salvation will be raised up at the last day. We believe in the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we would be of all men most miserable. I am a new creation. This is an important point too. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We are new creatures in Christ. We're not stuck in our old patterns, in our old ways. We are new. 
A lot of people today say, come as you are, God will accept you, and that is true. The thing is, God comes to meet us where we are, but his intention has never been and will never be to leave us there. If if he just said, come as you are, and he never changed us, what would be the point of trusting Jesus? We trust Jesus because he makes a change in our lives. And for that, we go to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked, according to the course of the world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, and I love this, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And that's Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. So we're not talking about um, making bad people good. We're talking about making dead people alive. Remember we said at the beginning of the show, you must be born again? That's because you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You don't have a capability without God to live a holy life. When God comes in and changes your life and makes you holy, he gives you the power to serve him. And that's my final point today. Which is, I have new desires. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 Why does Paul say this? Because he knows that God began a good work in him. His testimony is, I was going down the road to Damascus, and I was one way, and by the time I got to the end of that road, I was another way. I was completely transformed. I did a 180, and now I'm zealous for the things of God, and I'm confident that the same God who began a good work in me, if he began a good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul's whole view on the meaning of life changed, because he says here, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is my life verse. And just like Paul, I had a transformative experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he changed my outlook on life. I used to be a bitter young man. Sadly, even after I was saved and regretted the way God made me. But he said, I don't make mistakes. And he held on to me until I was able to fully surrender to ministry. And that's why you are listening to the Speaking for Him podcast today. Furthermore, in Ephesians 2.10 we read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, 
that we should walk in that. Isn't it interesting? God doesn't just save us and then say, okay, you're saved, just wait for heaven. No, he saves us and says, I have work for you to do. The reality is, folks, I don't pretend to understand the struggle of homosexuality. But I do know that I serve a a life-changing God. I do know that God can change you in a way that you'll never be the same. All these truths that we've talked about today about the evilness of man's heart, but the change that happens when we come to salvation are 100% true. And I know this not just because I've read many a testimony of other people. I know this because it's made a difference in my whole life. Circling back to the beginning of the show, I see a quote quite often that there are two people who gave their life for you. One of them is the American serviceman, and the other is Jesus Christ. We owe a great deal of gratitude to those who have gone before us and given their life so that we can live in a free country. The Declaration of Independence of this free country says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator, that being God, with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The reason that the Founding Fathers founded this country was because they wanted us to be able to worship and serve God freely. And so as you're giving thanks for the events of D-Day, and as you're thinking about the sacrifice of the American serviceman and woman for you, I hope that it also brings your thoughts to the even more liberating freedom that you can find in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of you may be under the spell of the devil. What did Jesus say about that? He said, The thief, meaning the devil, cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. God made you a man or a woman for his glory. And he has a created order. He wants marriage to be one man, one woman, for a lifetime, so that mankind will continue and so that we can raise up future generations for the glory of God. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're living in a way that is in opposition to the word of God, just know that God wrote what he did in his word because he loves you. 
I think sometimes we can get overwhelmed by that and think about things in the wrong way. We say, well, maybe the Bible's too strict. Uh, I wish things were looser. Uh, Maybe if I create my own version of the Bible, it will be better. But the thing is, we serve a God who said, let all things be done decently and in order. So when he ordained marriage between Adam and Eve, he did so as a gift to mankind. He created men and women differently so that they complete one another. And as a final thought on this issue of Pride Month, may I remind us all of the proverb, Pride goeth before the fall. And also, the verse, Humble thyself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Basically, there's two major stances you can have in life. Either you are prideful and full of self, or humble and full of the Savior. Those are the choices. As I've said many times on this podcast, there is no fence in the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we think there is. Sometimes we behave as if there is. But the Bible says if you believe not, you are condemned already. I certainly don't want condemnation from you, for you. I want you to experience the love of God as I have. God is so good. I'm just going to close with this brief story. It's from the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Peter, Susan, and Lucy are talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are telling them about Aslan being on the move. They're talking about maybe they should go see Aslan. And I think it's Lucy says, is Aslan safe? You know, because he's a lion. Lions are usually ferocious. And Mr. Beaver very wisely says this. He says, Aslan is not safe. He's a lion after all. But he is good. And that is what I have to say about the God that I serve. He's not safe. But he is good. And he promises good things to those who trust him. I hope that's you today. If you have any questions or concerns, if you would like me to pray for you or anything along those lines, might I encourage you to contact me with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. God bless you all. I hope you have a wonderful week and keep serving the best of masters.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.